Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs for an audience of entrepreneurs. And joining me is a listener, someone who's heard my interviews, and I'm so happy to have him on here because what he did is, I hate the word inspiring, Brian, because everyone says everything's so inspiring and everything's so great. But here's the thing that excites me about your story and what you did with Well Told. You have these glasses, which as a coffee drinker and a whiskey drinker, I completely appreciate. You've got like... um sections of books on them. You've got something that makes a person who's holding it feel like there's a connection to the person who bought it. And they look beautiful and they look academic and like spiritual. It makes me feel like I've like, I don't know, like I'm a literate person just looking at them. And I would have thought that it would be so hard to do it unless you're one of these people who hacked an Instagram something or other to make it work and it felt impossibly difficult. But you're not that person. You're an engineer. You're an, a person who took up art on the side and couldn't help himself and tinkered and created this as an arts and weekends thing. And you found your path to sales in a place where I have to admit to you, maybe it's snobbery. Maybe it's this feeling that it's just not a real business platform, but you went to Etsy, you started out there, you built up your own site and you grew it. And I'm fascinated by your story. Um, I should introduce you to the audience. Brian Johnson is the founder of Well Told. They make these beautiful pieces of, of art that you happen to be able to use to drink and serve and enjoy with your friends. Am I right, Brian? Yeah, that, I explained it that's well? right. That's that's a great explanation. Um, Andrew, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, like you mentioned, I've been a listener for a while and I'm, I'm excited to be able to to talk with you. Um, yeah, well, well told you, is, um, you know, a, mm -hmm. an everyday gifts company um, where we really try to have a deep personalized content um, added to the outside that 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 really connects the uh, the gift giver and receiver. You comfortable saying what your revenue is? I have it here in my notes and it's impressive. Uh, yeah. Um, last year we broke 6 million, um, in annual revenue. Wow. Um, and we're, we're looking to continue our growth rate. We've been on, um, Inc 5,000 fastest growing private companies for the past three years. We're, um, we're seeing, we're going to be it on this year again for a fourth year in a row. So we're, we're excited wow. to keep, keep growing the, the business and adding more, more products and expanding how we're, how we're selling the products. What can you tell us about, uh, profits? Profits. Um, well, COVID's been an interesting uh, couple mm -hmm. of years for us, um, but we are we've we've been profitable um, for a number of years. And what we typically have done is is uh, recapitalized it back into the business so we can invest in growth um, and be able to support the the team that we have. But then also really looking at a, a long term um, vision and making sure that we can fund ourselves um, through those profits. Meaning when you make a profit, you put it back into what? Into hiring people and? Um, it depends on our, our growth. We're a team of internally, a team of seven right now. Um, we have, mm -hmm. there's four partners and, and three, um, three new, new employees. And, and we have a, a larger outside team as well um, of different freelancers, um, code support, marketing, and different years we've invested in different things. Um, so we, we've invested in, some of our um, manufacturing partners in their equipment capabilities. Um, we've mm -hmm. invested in just having capital in the company to be able to purchase inventory. Um, mm -hmm. And, and then also the, the last couple of years, it's really has been in, in people and our, our external partners to invest in growth. I should say this interview is sponsored by Send in Blue. Anyone who wants to do email marketing, I'll tell you later why you should go to, to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy 
And uh, if you're hiring developers, I'll tell you later why you should go to see lemon.io slash Mixergy. How would you, before we get into the business part of it, can you describe like a typical um, product on your site? I'm looking at them all right now, but I, I don't know how to explain what makes this so special. Sure. Yeah. Um, so our best-selling product is our hometown map rocks glass. And it's an 11 ounce um, highball whiskey glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and we etch, um, laser etch on the outside of it, um, street map designs. So um, we have maps for every um, US town, for every college town. Um, and we also have topography and a few other designs. And so we, we take those intricate road work designs and etch them all around the outside of the, the glass. Um, so it's kind of cool. We have a way that you can kind of immerse yourself in the product as you're, you're using it um, and kind mm-hmm. of explore, find the street that you um, call home or, or one of a, of a happy memory. Um, so that's kind of the, so it's on demand. I could, for example, give my brother a glass that has the street that we grew up on with the street where we used to play stickball as kids because it was just a couple of blocks down. Yep. That's right. We have obviously some, you know, New York city, Chicago, we have some really best sellers. And so those we can make ahead of time and, and be able to mm-hmm. send out quicker. Um, but all the other ones, yeah, we have custom made on, on demand. And, um, Another great example of that is the night sky product line, um, where you mm-hmm. can pick a location, uh, a time and a date, um, anywhere in the world. And we show what the night sky looks like from that perspective with the constellations, the, the, the stars, and then a custom mm-hmm. message of why that, that specific time and place was important to you. You know what? I wasn't sure how much you want to talk about, or even if you wanted to talk about the fact that you were a weapons designer at some point in your life. I feel like people who work for the Department of Defense um, tend not to want to talk about it, or just because people in the audience may or may not care for weapons. But what you told me was fascinating, which was that as you were doing it, you were on the hunt for what your your purpose was, what your passion was. And so were you at all as you were doing these previous jobs touching on your passion and this artistic expression that you've now expressed through Well Told? It's a great question. Um, I think at the time when I when I was working for the Department of Defense, it was in an effort to find something bigger, like finding how I could contribute back um, in a meaningful way. And mm-hmm. with my engineering background and and the, the position there, I, I felt like I could potentially do that. And what I found was maybe I was helping um, a, a larger mission, but it wasn't as self-rewarding to me for some reason. Um, and so as I, I kept kind of moving through my career, I, I moved into medical product development, which had a more kind of immediate, um, mm-hmm. uh, obvious maybe um, helping standpoint, um, but it mm-hmm. still wasn't as as fun or um, really enjoyable. So I, I started getting into consumer products and that was when I started um, this business on the side to explore making products for people's homes, um, for my part. Because you've been doing it for your own home, because when there's a piece that you couldn't find or you wanted, if you couldn't get someone else to make it or couldn't find it somewhere else, you would make it yourself, right? Yep. That's right. And, um, for example, what's something that you made because you just had to have it? Um, part of Well, the very first thing I think I sold on Etsy was a, a stainless steel picture frame that was laser cut and had stainless steel cabling running through it. And it just, at the time, it was uh, a modern piece of art that and engineering. Um, I mm-hmm. could use my design skills and then 
my manufacturing connections to get get it made. Um, and then as I, I kept doing that, I explored um, renewable materials. Um, the, the company used to be called the Uncommon Green. And part of its, um, its name intent was that we would create products that were um, upcycling materials or using um, mm. energy efficient production methods. Um, so it, we made uh, tables that were um, welded steel frames with re reclaimed barn wood tops. Um, things mm. that just like not only fed my creative and engineering aspirations, but then had a functional functional use um, in my in my home and others. But it started out as you making things just for yourself and then saying, I think I could sell this to the rest of the world and then listing the picture frame on on Etsy. Am I right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I had, um, you know, I, I coded my own HTML website in, in college back in the day, and I, I knew I could create a website, but Etsy was just such a low barrier for entry. It was, mm. it was, I think I paid 20 cents to list the, the first item and there was so little commitment. It was a marketplace. So there was already people there. I didn't have to market or advertise to bring them in. Um, I just had to make a really great product um, that, that people were looking for. Did you think that this was going to be a bigger business or were you just at the time playing around online the way someone might play with, uh, I don't know, a virtual reality game? Um, honestly, I, I, at the time, I didn't think it was going to be my future career. Um, what I hoped it was, it was going to be a path to a different career. So I was looking, mm. I was interested in um, consumer products, either with a consumer product company or a consulting company. And so this, I was kind of using it as a way to build my design portfolio. So I'd have okay. some examples of real world products to share. Um, and that, that actually led me to, um, to my, to my job at Keurig Green Mountain. Um, so I, I worked there for a number What'd you of do years. for them? Um, I, I first started, um, leading the development of the, the cold pod. So if you remember the, the cold machine that is no longer, mm. um, I led the engineering for that, uh, pod and then, um, that was only for the short beginning part. And then I, I switched into leading, um, it's called advanced design research and consumer design. Um, so looking for new technology and new ways for physical interactions with products. Um, so we'd tear down all sorts of other products and find different user experiences that we could, could bring, bring to the, the next. Like what? That sounds years. fascinating. Oh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of great people. Of, what did you, what did you do for example what's one thing that you tore down um so we were looking at a line of um, how to make a, a brewer more premium and more high quality and so we would buy i bought a lot of uh, other brands toasters actually and would rip down breville toasters and brawn toasters and just understand mm. the the different um, mechanisms for um, user interfaces um, just the different materials they use and how those felt. So that you can make something better, a better toaster, or so that you can make a better coffee maker using what they do with their toasters or both? Um, for, for this, it was a better coffee maker, um, but we were trying to use all different kinds of proxy products to understand how ah. different different interfaces and different um, brands kind of use the materials in different ways to premiumize a product. I always wondered if bigger companies did that. And you're saying you at least at Keurig did, you would go and see how are these toaster ovens that people love doing what they do well? What can we bring back to our team? What can we learn from the way that they're doing their user experience, et cetera? Oh, that's, that is fascinating. And you're saying the reason you got that job is because you'd started to build a, por a portfolio of your own designs 
and that helped you get that job. Am I right? Yep. That's, that was the path. At least I like to think that's what it was. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. And you know, it's been kind of a, my nature in general to, if I'm designing a product to look at other product type um, products out there. So, you know, l- looking for inspiration in, in car manufacturing and design, um, you can find inspiration at in all sorts of different products that can help create something unique in a space. And that's, that's kind of what I, how my approach with the, our glassware and drinkware um, has been as well to, to try to bring something new to the market and looking at different technologies or decorating techniques and how we can really push the envelope on coming up with new and, and interesting products. Mm-hmm. I love your design sense. I think what you did was you explained what the product was. I don't think we could explain with words why it just feels so, why it looks so good. You know what I mean? There's, there's something about it. It feels almost gimmicky when we say you could put a map of anywhere on a glass. It's not until you see the taste of the person who created it that you realize this is something that you feel good about holding that creates a sense of atmosphere, just like being in a study at someone's house. Yeah, no, thanks for saying that. You know, we take a lot of pride and, and also a lot of time and attention to detail in our existing designs, making sure we we stay true to our our uh, design guidelines and and use those as we create new products. And you know we've we've had had customers ask, can you use this font or change the style? And and pretty much always we say no, and or show them why or convince them like you really don't want to do that. We've thought a lot about what this looks mm-hmm. like and kept it simple and modern and clean, and and subtle. Um, we you know our logo is on the products, but always in a very small way that's kind of off to the side to not take away attention from that true meaning mm-hmm. that that true um design that that's what the people are buying it for <laughs> so you told our producer you thought about furniture but realized i think you were living in brooklyn at the time am i right about that uh, said, south boston south boston and yep. so you said i can't just start accumulating furniture here in my place i think i need to find something smaller am i oversimplifying the the way that you pivoted to smaller products? No, not really. I had, um, you know, I, I had a small shared apartment in South Boston and I, there was a maker space, um, in Somerville just across the, the river. So I had a small workspace there, um, which was kind of needed to, you know, make and sell dining room tables. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was just, it became a hassle. It was, if I got an order for a dining room table, it would take, you know, weekends and driving back and forth to the maker space and, Mm-hmm. I decided that to, to really see some scale to this, either I would have to build my own shop, which I didn't really want to do, or I needed to find a product that was smaller, um, easier to ship, easier to prototype, and um, with, with a manufacturing partner that could do the majority of that, that for me. What's the product that you came up with and the manufacturing partner? What's the first so, one? So early on, it was, it was glassware um, and coasters but it was the it wasn't maps at the time it was math themed products so uh, the engineer and me um, we I, I took uh, the digits of of pi 3.14 um, and fit as many as I could on a glass and the kind of the cool part was it just looked like a pattern in its own um, and it was also kind of a funny party trick to you know be able to rattle off 10,000 digits of pi um, if you can make make it through that much <laughs> So is that a party trick that you, that you do? No, I tried to back in the day, but, um, 
with with my kids and family now i don't have time okay. extra time to, to okay. memorize pi <laughs> all right i'm trying to get a sense of like what kind of a of a geek you are but i think i've got it it's more of a design geek than a, than a number of pi geek yeah. all right and so that's what you take to etsy and manufacturing it how hard is that is it it is it just someone who has a laser printer first that you need or a laser engraver? Is that what it's called? Yeah, a laser um, engraver, laser etcher. Um, you know, it, it took us a number of years to settle on the right partner. Um, and it, it was still kind of, um, the technology was still evolving, um, especially for that kind of marking. It used to, you know, lasers were used to engrave metal and, um, you know, parts for, military equipment, things that needed to have, um, a permanent marking on it that, that could be, mm -hmm. could be done. And so the glassware industry had started using it. Um, and the, the first partner I had was I think in the Midwest and, um, it made, they made great glass, but the pricing just didn't work. Um, and they, they were, they were, everybody was trying to say, Oh, why don't you just etch this small little two and a half inch square on the front of the product. And mm. part of what I really thought made the product cool was that that full wrap design that getting getting the design around the entire canvas of the glass um, so after a couple of um, manufacturing partners we we found one in um, in new hampshire um, and have have been with them for a number of years now and it's been a great relationship we've worked together we've improved um, improved our capabilities together invested in in both businesses and it's it's resulted in a really high quality product that we're proud of You've said we a few times at this point, it's, is it more than you at this point in the story? No, I, I'm so used to saying we now, um, because I said mm -hmm. I for a number of years and I, I, I made the conscious decision to switch. Yeah. Um, I started the business in 2009. I bought the domain in 2008, but didn't sell until 2009. And then for the first three and a half years, it was just me. Um, and a lot of this initial, um, finding of the suppliers, um, was by myself doing prototyping and finding the first customers. Um, and then in 2012, uh, had two convinced two college friends to join me. Um, this, this is about the time when I realized I needed to partner and bring, bring outside help in to be able to scale the business. Um, and it How was, far did you get it before you brought them on? Um, it was still on Etsy exclusively or on, had you moved to Shopify too? I had moved to Shopify also. Um, okay. and then I had a few wholesale accounts. So it was, uh, a, a number of small businesses in the Boston area. Um, the Boston shaker, um, was the, our first wholesale customer. Um, if you're in Boston, go mm -hmm. visit them. They're awesome. Um, and, and so it was, it was, it was fairly small still. Um, it was really regional. Um, it was the Etsy shop that had seasonal sales. Um, and it's still mainly math themed at that point. So it was a fairly niche audience that we were um, catering to, which probably also helped some of the discovery discoverability. Um, we had a big bottle opener in the shape of a pie symbol um, that we got mm -hmm. into uh, some BuzzFeed articles, some like early press and PR because it was just cool. And yeah, how did you get so much press? This was, by the way, the company it's still at the, at the time was called Uncommon Green, which gives us a sense of what you're looking for and where you were. Yep. You know, let me pause for a moment before we get into press and say that this interview is sponsored by a company called Send In Blue. And Brian, the thing that I noticed that lights up my guests' eyes and people in my audience when I talk about it, them is that 
they have all the features of a modern marketing automation email platform. And that means you can, you can tag people properly. You can message them based on what they've done, whether they bought or not. You can send out email, obviously. One of my guests, and I always, as I told you before, Brian, we got started. If you disagree with the sponsor, if you, if you don't like them for whatever reason, you're welcome to bring in your point of view. I'm not looking to have you be a shill for them. And so one of my guests said, yeah, that sounds good. But um, I wouldn't use them because I am into, into SMS. Text messaging is what worked for his company. I said, well, actually, they do SMS too. It's really a robust system of everything that you'd expect. At this point, email marketing is it's not such a gee whiz new idea. We're talking about before the year 2000, email marketing software existed. So these tools are there. Send in Blue keeps updating along with everyone else. In fact, they're, they're one of the leaders in it. What makes them amazing is they start out with a reasonable price, and then they stay reasonable as you grow. A lot of times, email marketing companies will give you a fabulous, great price, maybe even like a free price at first. But as you grow, suddenly it costs more and more and more and more. And then it's outrageous. And then it's the most, the highest expense that you have outside of people in office. And you say, well, I'm making money from email, so I might as well. And yeah, I'll pay a lot. And yes, I'll pay for unsubscribes, even though I am not allowed to email to them because they're keeping in the database and blah, 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 blah. And then you get sucked in and it's too hard to leave. And what Send in Blue says is we'll keep it reasonable in the beginning. We'll keep it reasonable in the middle. And we'll keep it reasonable throughout the uh relationship. So if you're out there and you're considering email marketing software for yourself, for your clients, for a friend, go check out Send in Blue. And if you use my URL, you're going to get a lower price than they offer other people. And here it is. The URL is sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. And if you're not familiar with them, by all means, go Google them, see how big they are, see the funding, see that, that this is a company with big roots and a big, um, big set of backers and big results up until now. They just don't have a big price tag. Sendinblue.com. Grateful to them for sponsoring. All right. Um, actually, sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Use my URL. Give me credit for sending you over. All right. Uh, it was it was called Uncommon Green. You were at that point. Um, was where was I with the questioning? I. Uh, we it was I'm, the I'm a uh, in. how do, how do we got the the press that we had early on? Yes. Right. Thank you. Yeah. So you know it was a lot of. It was just a lot of hard work. Um, I would have a product um, page or, or images, and I would go on to every um, platform that I could think of and submit photos. Um, I think one of the old ones was notcot.org. Um, and it was these discoverability platforms. Um, there was also, mm. this was kind of the, the time when a bunch of those flash sale and gift box subscription companies mm -hmm. were first making a big um, entrance into the e-commerce market. And they were looking for cool and different and eye-catching products. Um, so we were able to make those few connections um, and, and get a few early sales with some of those, which, which kind of gave us some confidence that what we had was, was working and people were connecting with. Um, and was this just you emailing over, submitting where you could, sitting down, and in addition to creating and doing customer service saying, who can I reach out to? What can I say? How can I say it better? Is that right? Yeah, early it was it was just me, um, and it was late nights and uh, designing, you know, designing the, the products themselves, and then, you know, taking the photography by myself and in my condo, um, and and then submitting them to as as many different places as I could think. Um, wow! And it was I think what it showed me early on too was like the PR was a huge a huge piece, and it was actually one of the very earliest things that that I outsourced. Um, after fulfillment. Um, so it was, it, it's always been a, a, a 
really big thing for us because what we we feel is if the product is good and people truly resonate with it then then they're interested in in learning about it and reading about it and that's what pr is really really done for us i guess the reason that i'm saying wow about it is because everything that i see about you says you are going to figure out the design to to with a taste that other people can't match but I don't see the type of person that I usually see in my inbox when I talk to you, the person who's like pounding me with messages. And then since I get email ad, uh, emails from other uh, accounts at our company, I see they're sending the exact same email to other people and to everyone else at the company. It's like, we think you are the best. So I could see their mail merge in action. I could see their follow up with just bubbling this up to the top of your inbox or making sure that you see this and so on. You just don't strike me as that kind of a person who enjoys that whole process or or who would do that. How do you do it? Yeah, per personally, that's no, I don't enjoy doing that, but I can appreciate the impact that it has. Um, mm -hmm. And so we we use a number of different ways. We we use Clavio for our email um, mm -hmm. system and for for email marketing. Um, but we we also have an external marketing um, agency who helps us with our ad campaigns. So we we use kind of a combination. What we really feel like is we need to be in all the all the right places. So social media um, presence, social media advertising, um, Google advertising, um, doing hitting the right campaigns there, um, and really um, making sure that th that paid advertising side is combined with um, with our PR. Um, and with our, email but in market. the beginning when you were doing it and you were sitting down, how did you do, how did you do, um, uh, PR when it was just you doing it? So I went to, I found places that I like to go to design blogs, um, mm -hmm. image, image gathering, you know, there was one called the fancy that was, yeah, you know, yeah. They wanted to create a catalog of all the cool products in the world. And so a lot of the stuff mm -hmm. was things that I was already engaged with the communities um, because mm -hmm. I found value in researching design and, and finding new products. Um, and so some of the PR was, was really kind of those, those communities and being able to share them, uh, my, mm -hmm. with my designs. Um, and then the, the really early on ones, some of the um, holiday gift gifting guides would find my products mm -hmm. through, through those, those sources. Uh, yeah. I went back and I looked at the internet art. Archive back when your site was was theuncommongreen.com. Yep. There's there's not a lot on there. Furniture was on there back even in 2011, so about 11 years ago now. But there was a list of uh, press that you'd already received, and it's it's things that we would consider press like the Washington Post, um, but also these online publications like Thrillist and Wantist. I don't know Wantist, but it's that kind of thing, and I could see your your fingerprints on this. And I could also see them running with it on their, on their own. All right. So then you did that, that allowed you to grow. Etsy was going. And then at some point you said, I need my own store Shopify. At that point, it becomes really hard because now you, you're not getting some other company sending you customers. It's you trying to figure out what to do. How did you make Shopify work for you? Well, the nice thing about Shopify is we had complete control over our brand and being mm -hmm. able to really um, have a great user experience and own that whole experience. And through, I think through Etsy, and also we had um, a number of products on um, another partner of ours, Uncommon Goods, they're a gifting catalog company. Um, we started getting discovered. And so we, a lot of our early traffic was, was completely organic, either for the description of the product, like Map Rocks Glass, um, mm -hmm. that was really unique and people were seeing in different places. Um, 
or or in some cases it was the the um the brand name itself and either they had gotten a gift from somebody um and then found it we actually found that early on a lot of our and still true today you know a lot of our products are gifted and so a lot of times the the buyer doesn't even see the product um which is unfortunate mm-hmm. they should buy one for themselves for themselves as well um, but so the gift receiver may find it love it and then go to our website to check it out and maybe give a gift themselves um so that that process we think also drove a lot of the organic growth that we had early on before we were advertising wow. That makes sense. You know, I, I started out with uh, an online greeting card company. And the reason that it grew was largely that when someone received a greeting card from our company that was sent uh, by a friend, they would say, well, I should send a greeting card back to that friend too, or maybe to a couple of other friends. And it just keeps going. There's something nice about being in the gifting business because everyone is, every customer essentially is also promoting your company and sending your product into someone else's home. How um, how long did you go while you still had a full time job? Oh, geez, let's see. I went. So we had. I could have only. I could only do it because as we were growing, I was bringing on more partners, so they were able to kind of do the same thing I was doing. While you had a full time um, job. Full time job, yeah. So it was. Wow. It was um, the, the part of the growth phase at the end when it was more time consuming. Um, it was really like a lot of it was for me was, was creating new map artwork. And so I it would come home and it would be in the evenings and the weekends. And I would just be on my computer designing, designing new artwork. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our growth um, in that phase was, was fairly, um, fairly easy um, as far as the, the thought process went and I could fit it in um, in the evening so we could expand and offer more cities um, for our map glasses or, um, if there was a custom order, I'd have time mm. to create a new artwork for that. Um, so I think we went, um, and, and the other thing, there was four partners at that time in 2014. Um, and then one of uh, our financial partner, he went full-time first. So him being able to do that, um, and he him, him and I split a lot of the operations stuff. So managing our manufacturing partners, mm. um, ordering packaging, um, just a lot of that day-to-day um, side of things. So when he went full time, that gave me a little bit more runway, um, to, to not have to jump. So I, and it was, it was a tough, uh, it was a tough jump because I really loved, um, working at Keurig and, and, and part of it was not wanting to leave that environment and that, that workspace, um, knowing that it went from, you know, a huge organization with all sorts of technology at our fingertips down to, you know, a small group of four with limited resources. Um, but in the end it was, inevitable that we saw that there was going to be potential for this to be our full-time career. And, and to make that happen, we, we had to really give it the full effort. Um, so I think it was for around. context, you worked at, you started, um, at Keurig. I always mispronounce the name Keurig. Am I pronouncing it right? Keurig. Yep. Keurig. You started there at 2013. You didn't stop until 2017. We're talking about nine years after you'd founded this business, which is now called well-told nine years you were doing this and then you finally left what was it that made you finally leave what what happened to the business that allowed you to finally do it um we saw that we had really big growth potential but to be able to do it we needed more more time and resources and a Mm -hmm. lot of that was in the different spaces you know we had the the four the four founders um you know it was me I, i led design um 
Dave led finance and our, he's our CFO, um, Neil led marketing and Colin is leading technology. And so we had all these aspirations for new product lines and new offerings and to be able to offer every town in the US, but to do that, we all needed more time to dedicate to it. So it was, it was the decision to say, all right, if we really want to give this a shot, we can't do the moonlighting thing anymore. We need to invest ourselves in it and, and give it a shot. And so that was kind of that, that time period and finding the right time to leave each of our different companies. So we left in good standing and, and didn't leave any mm -hmm. projects kind of hanging out, out in the wind. <laughs> As somebody who cares about the environment, how did you square that with Keurig's, you know, the, dis the disposable cups that they have to make coffee? Yeah. You know, that's, that was one of the hardest decisions I initially thought I had to make. And then what I realized is part of what I was working on was a lot of the sustainability efforts that Keurig had going on um, to date where they, they do have recyclable pods um, on the market. And so being a part of that solution um, felt like I, I could make an impact there and, and, and do some good in that, that space. Mm. Yeah. I think I saw the giving back part of your story. Am I right? Or yep. I don't know. I have gone over your, your company's websites through the year so much. And yeah. then, uh, I accidentally spent a lot of time on like a bad, a bad version of your domain. Like your domain was, what was it? Uh, it was the uncommon green, but uncommon green was another thing that but yeah. Anyway, you're starting to say, yeah, it was, it was funny. I, I came up with the name uncommon green and I, I had it in my GoDaddy cart and then I let it sit for a week and then somebody else bought it. Mm. I was like, what the, who? <laughs> so I bought the uncommon green and I ended up purchasing uncommon green from them a couple of years later. Um, so, and then well told is actually well told design.com. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't accidentally in the interview use the word design because that's the domain. It's not the company name. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, that was another big change for us. Um, as we, we looked at the company and saw what our product was resonating with customers, um, the name Un uncommon green just didn't make any sense. And it was the most confusing thing for, for people. they looked at they looked at us funny when they're like what does it mean um and so we went through a, a redesign effort um to completely rebrand ourselves and um, that was a huge undertaking but it, it was actually nice to be in a place where we already kind of knew the the path we were going and what people thought of our products and to be able to create a brand um and and name that that aligned with that and really emphasized it more um and so well well told was was that name and it's this day and age. I mean, finding a domain name that's unique is pretty, yeah. pretty tough. So, so hard. Yeah. And so I also get the sense that you liked that you were influenced by uncommon goods, right? Were you at all? Or is that, did the name come from that? No, the name, no. no. Um, you know, it was, and being in a partnership with them, the name ended up also being a little confusing and it was good timing. They, they were selling your product um, through their catalog, right? And yep. this was one of the big partnerships that you had early on and one of the big sources of customers. Yep. So I could see how that would be confusing for people. They Customers might not know if Uncommon Green was a part of Uncommon Goods. Um, but then talk about what happened when you went to Fab. Fab was doing these flash sales. You go on their website, you get a an opportunity to buy something at a great deal. Everyone could buy it at once. You did it. And then as I understand it, you and your wife went camping. Yep. We were camping up in Acadia um, National Park in Maine. And um, it was over a holiday weekend. And we had, I think it was the pie bottle openers, actually, these big metal mm -hmm. bottle openers. 
um, on, on the site for sale. And <clears throat> we were out of cell phone service and didn't really have access to it. Um, internet for a couple of days. And we, we came into Bar Harbor to go out to dinner and checked on my phone and had sold, I think it was over 600 items and wow. kind of said, oh, wow. All right. I, uh, I got to get moving. So at that time we, you know, everything I, I did was bootstrap. So we didn't have any investments um, at all. And this was right before the partners joined as well. So at this point it was just me. And um, I, I had basically teed up my manufacturing partners to be ready for an order. And they were going to turn it for me as quickly as I could. So I could meet all the shipping deadlines of the, from fab. Yeah. So I quickly fired off an email and got that started while we were still on vacation and got home to a pallet full of metal uh, bottle openers and um and then created a uh, uh basically a, a whole assembly line to package all these things and label them and print them out and ship them out and the plan was to do it at you know midnight until three in the morning um so i could still go to work and wow we the, the um what i didn't account for was how loud a tape gun is at one in the morning <laughs> and I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I had to take time off from work to be able to package all them up myself. Wow! And that was, that was really the first aha moment of, okay, I need to find a solution for this because I don't like packaging items <laughs> and it sure, certainly isn't the best use of my time. So that was kind of when I started realizing to scale, um, I, I needed to find the right partners to outsource certain things to, um, and be able to leverage their expertise and their, their setup, um, and focus. And on so you found best. someone to package and ship for you. That's readily available. What I'm wondering is why didn't you ever take manufacturing on internally? It seems like it's such a core part of your product. You know, I had in, in my career, we, we had a lot of in-house manufacturing and we had a lot of manufacturing partners and everything that I saw with the in-house manufacturing was how much overhead and how much oversight and management and people you needed to run, run that. And at the time that, that wasn't even a glimmer of an option for me to be able to invest in a space and the, the, the cost of equipment um, that was needed. And I felt like a finding a, an established manufacturing partner who already had the resources, already had the expertise, could handle the overhead and was able to scale with me so that, you know, I could make one glass affordably um, and not have to worry about a huge amount of debt. Um, but mm. then be able to scale and make, you know, a hundred thousand affordably. So that was the main, the main reasoning there. And I still do a lot of physical prototyping and, and one-off, um, product designs on my own. Um, but when we have the, the partners that we have set up, the ability to scale just becomes so much more, um, possible. How do you find a unique manufacturing partner like that? I think if I wanted to obviously publish a book, that would be easy. If I wanted somebody to carve on a product, maybe, okay, I can get, but on glass specifically, it feels really hard to find and someone who could do it at your specifications and your turnaround. So I kind of went backwards on this one, actually. I, I knew from my engineering background and research, I knew the equipment that I wanted. I knew the brand, I knew the manufacturer of the equipment that I wanted. And so I went directly to them oh, wow. and I said, okay. hey, I need, this is what I'm looking for. Somebody in the New England area, that is a leader in, in using your products for this. And they were able to connect me with a number of different options Got that it. I could then down select from. Okay. And so one of the things that my team told me uh, was that this was going to be an interview. I always ask my team, can you just give me a sense of what you think the interview is going to be? And they said, 
Brian Johnson's well told how Brian Johnson's well told uses proprietary technology to drive them to a seven figure revenue. So the the technology is something that they wanted to make sure that I noticed. What is the proprietary technology, and if it's not in the manufacturing, what is it in? In sure. Well, so some of it is in manufacturing and in, in kind of how we've optimized our efficiencies with our partners to create the highest quality at the the best price so we can What does that mean? How do you do that for them? If they're in if they're manufacturing for you, how do you increase efficiency for them? So, you know, based on my background in and what I've 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 worked through in engineering, um, I can I can get on the shop floor with them and we can walk through the process and we can troubleshoot it and we can say, well, what wow. if we cut this out or what if I change the resolution of the image to this, this level. Um, so we can optimize our etching time and the image quality. And so it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of feedback for them too, saying like, Hey, by the way, if you change your artwork this way, then we, we could, we could potentially, you know, get, get two more glasses through an hour. Um, and so a lot of it's that feedback loop and working together with them, um, and, and pushing each other to, um, to, to make it more cost effective, but also make it higher quality. Um, and for the lasers, you know, a lot of improvements over the years have come through with, um, higher, higher power lasers. And so making sure we're, we're we have the latest and greatest equipment, um, is important, but that's like you mentioned, that's not the only the manufacturing isn't the only, and can't be the only thing that, that makes us innovative, um, and a technology, um, company. And so, you know, a lot of, um, what's seen on our website, we, we spend a lot of time um, in in behind the scenes to create everything that you're seeing, and what that means is, you know, the we can we can create every every single town in the in the country, but I I did not hand design and hand draw each one of those maps, <laughs> um, so we, we figured out a, a process to automate um, a lot of that. It still has manual um, interaction points to to confirm different design elements, but it's it's really been in the software development to create to create our designs, to assist in creating our designs. And then, then also the, the product imagery and, and making sure we can show the customers what, what they're going to get. Um, and so mm. we do that in a couple different ways on, on some of the products like the night sky, we actually have a, a 3d preview. So you can see a, a 3d representation and spin it and zoom it and, and turn it around on your computer um, screen. And, and then we also have product imagery. So just still 2d photos of, of a lot of our other products and, and those we we've, we've built some, um, basically Bitcoin mining machines to, to create imagery so that we can, uh, we can have a, a preview image of basically every product in every location. Oh, you're using machines that are meant for Bitcoin mining. Yeah. They're like, and yeah. repurposing them for this. Yeah. And, wow. And Colin, um, our CTO. Yeah, he he built those from scratch, and uh, we've um, I think we we have over we have pushing um, five million photography assets that we've we've created with those over the years. So if I type in now the address where I am, I could get that specific address. No, I think what I need to do is somehow put in the the GPS coordinates, right? So we have, we have two different ways you can do it. If you're in our hometown product listing. Um, we use a, a Google API, the Google places API, mm -hmm. like Google maps. And so you type in a town and based off of it, it being available through there, it'll show you what's available. And if you click on the town, then it'll show you a preview. Um, we do have mm -hmm. an, an anywhere maps option that is, um, is relatively Yeah, I see new. that under the customized section. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's where you can type in any address 
and and get that. So that that one we're we're working to improve the the user interface and, and just make it more uh, more user friendly. But that one you can add any labels. You can uh, you know zoom in on the address from of your neighborhood, um, and be able to really add um, lots lots of different things. All right. My second sponsor is Lemon.io. Anyone out there who's looking to hire a developer should at least consider Lemon.io. And we talked, Brian, before we got started. And you said, oh, yeah, I did call them up. And uh, you said, not to put you on the spot, but I think it's important. You said, I didn't hire from them. What did you call them up for? What were you, what were you looking to hire? Yeah, sure. So we, um, we, we were looking for a, a front-end Shopify developer to help mm -hmm. us with actually some of this, um, improving some of our user interface, mm -hmm. um, refining just some of our, um, our different capabilities. Um, we, we are, we have a backend developer that's worked with, with us for a while. Um, and they said they, they just didn't have, um, Shopify experts at the time. Um, they, but it seemed like a, in my experience with it, at least going through the application and the vetting and, and the, the communication was really good. And I'd certainly reach out to them again. Um, if we have backend development mm -hmm. or other ones that I know fit, fit their skill set or the, of the developers they have. It's important for me to not present this. This is an amazing company that's perfect in every way, but to say, here's my sponsor. I vetted them. I think they're a good fit for the audience, but I also acknowledge that there are limits. And so the beauty of working with lemon is, or trying to work with lemon is if you go to lemon.io slash mixergy, you can talk to someone, you can chat with them. You can tell them what you're looking for. And if it's a good fit, they'll introduce you to a developer. If you decide to hire that person, great. If you decide not to also fine, you can move on. And often they'll say, you know, what you're looking for is not within our network. We're not going to pretend that we can have that developer for you. And so what I'm saying within my ads is if you're looking to hire a developer of any type, go and at least include Lemon in your consideration in the list of places where you're looking for developers. There's nothing to lose. And if you find a great developer, it's going to be one that works great and is actually going to be at a, at a lower price than you would uh, going through other platforms because they are looking for people largely in Eastern Europe who uh, who do a great job, but just are not um, getting paid what they would get paid if they say worked in San Francisco. Um, I will also say this is not a paid ad from them. I think their ads have run out. I'm just really feeling for that company. I know that they are based in Ukraine. The founder is actually now, um, he's now outside of Ukraine, but he's trying to keep his company going. And so, well, not keep his company going. He, he's continuing to pay his people whether they can work or not. And I want to support him and his ability to keep his company going. They're doing well. They're growing um, largely because of the reputation he's built over the years, showing showing entrepreneurs like me how much his revenue is growing, how he's hustling to build his business, how he's doing everything. So he's got a good reputation. And a lot of us are out there just supporting his his business and allowing him to pay all his people. Again, if you're looking to hire developers, it's now from all over uh, Europe, largely in Eastern Europe, go talk to him, get great developers, or frankly, you decide you're not a, it's not a good fit and you can move on just like Brian did. No hurt feelings, no problem. Um, and if you use my URL, you'll get a discount on their already low prices. The URL is lemon.io slash mixergy, lemon.io slash mixergy. And I'm grateful to them for sponsoring. Um, why did you bring, you keep saying partners. And in my head, I think, wow, four partners. Why didn't Brian just hire people? Why did he want to have them in as partners? Yeah. So that's, that's a good question. Um, when I, when I first realized I, I wanted to grow the business, I, I also realized it'd be really fun to design the business in a way that like, it was something that I enjoyed doing every day. And so I had some close friends from college that I had been sharing the, the business with and, 
and over time there was you know a number of them that that showed more interest than others and and the decision kind of was like wow what what better way to wake up in the morning than to be able to just work with your friends and and enjoy that journey together and, and have it be a, a fun a fun way to to have your day spent so I, I decided basically to have that friend's own business and at least for the the um that initial group and it's it's turned out to be a, a way that we've continued to do business and find partners and and employees and it's, it's yeah i get the friend part of it but why the partner part why not say i will hire you i'll give you great pay as we as we grow until then we'll be part-time and i'll give you great part-time pay and we'll have fun doing it because i didn't have the money to <laughs> um to stay <laughs> i mean to stay bootstrapped the idea was um they would they would get the the equity was that payment and mm -hmm. um to be able to keep putting everything back in the business to grow it and stay bootstrapped that was really the mm -hmm. the only way i felt comfortable doing it all right then what about this i'm looking and you have a lot of different SKUs, I guess is what we call them, right? Or what you call them yep. in the business. You have a lot of different products. It's not like you can keep a bunch of glasses in one place and then ship them out. There's so many different products. How expensive is it to store it? How expensive is it to, and how difficult is it to figure out how much you'll need every Christmas? It's hard. <laughs> um, we're, we're actually at a really interesting kind of inflection point in the business where what we had done is... Um, we had looked at our, our sales demand and we had um, we were able to see which cities were best selling and, and which ones were, were moving more. And we could forecast um, for the holiday season, which is our by far our biggest um, season and selling season. So we would pre-produce inventory and um, we understood all the pricing for our warehousing costs and um, fulfillment costs to be able to to be profitable when we we would ship out um, items and and the what that's as we as we've grown what that ended up resulting in is well there was more bestsellers every year so it wasn't just 10 bestsellers it was 20 then 50 then 100 and then as we're adding product types into you know from glassware into insulated drinkware to coffee mugs to cutting boards a lot of that became really difficult so the, the shift we're going through is really identifying a smaller number of high moving bestsellers and and working on inventorying those and then increasing our our production capability with our partners to be able to handle more drop ship um, made on demand items. I guess there is no is is there a way to figure this stuff out? I remember here's why I ask you: the only business class I hated at NYU, I, I wouldn't even say I hated, I still liked it, but the only one that was just a, a drag was the one that required us to understand inventory management and throughput. The calculations were just so frustrating. And at the end, it's not like in finance where you do all the math and you see how much money comes in and how much uh, how much interest you're paying. At the end, all you do is you just make you know the trains move on time. And so it's it's challenging without the exciting payoff. How were you able to figure this all out? Well, it's changed over the years. Initially, it was Excel and you know creating some of our own forecasting spreadsheets and looking okay. at our sales data and, and looking at our, our growth and our traffic increasing and, and making an educated guess. And, you know, early on in that case, you I mean, you make mistakes, you sell out or you, you buy too much of mm -hmm. one thing. Um, in that case, the nice thing with our products is they're, they, they're very, we feel like they're very timeless. It doesn't feel like a product that next year is going to be out of style that you have to put on, mm -hmm. 
clearance to to get rid of. Um, and then, you know, as we've we've matured, we we do have different inventory software um, integrated into our systems now to help us be able to create those reports of bestsellers and be able to give mm -hmm. us highlights as we're going, hey, this month, this these are the products that sold the best. So we can start looking at and identifying trends. Um, and even more mature then as we are refining our marketing campaigns, we, we can really anticipate when we have a new product launch or when we have a campaign centered around a certain product that it's gonna move the needle um, a, a certain amount. And so we've we've just continue to improve those and and um, it's not perfect, but um, the, the drop, increasing the drop ship significantly helps that. Um, so part of the idea has been holiday season stock up and then get really, get really lean during the off season and try to drop ship everything that we can. And then if you were doing them, and I imagine maybe at some point you will for sports teams, you would have to pay licensing fee. You do them from national parks. They're owned by everybody, right? So you don't have to pay a, a licensing fee for say Joshua tree mugs. Do you? Yeah, you're right. Um, so yeah, no, for national parks, um, there, there isn't a required licensing fees. You're, you're limited in what you can use and you can't use the, the whole park name in your product title or listing. Um, but there aren't any requirements to give back, which is honestly, in my opinion, kind of unfortunate because those are some awesome resources that we have to our country that, mm -hmm. that should be funded. So we, we decided, um, that we were going to give back to them anyhow, um, regardless. Oh, wow. And we, we've been working on relationships with a number of the different nonprofits that support different parks, um, and are basically planning that, uh, certain amount of proceeds from, from each product will go back either to one of those specific nonprofits or to the national park foundation. Um, mm -hmm. we, we want to make sure that we are, um, are helping and giving back in the causes that that we we believe in and that the products align with um and we do we do actually sell um licensed um, sports team goods for nhl and major league baseball i didn't see that um those are through un uncommon goods so we have uh, okay they, ha they have that licensing partnership and we're able to sell sell through them for those uh, and then we have one other licensed partner sorry the uh, kentucky bourbon trail um, so we do have licensed products for, for them on the site. Too. Got it. And so you can't sell it on your site, but uncommon goods has the right to create products based on the, their licenses. And so you list it on their site, use your technology to create it and your, your, your brand to give it the taste and reputation. Yep. Okay. All right. Let me close out with this. If somebody's listening to us and says, you know what, I have this passion for making artistic products that people buy. I just worry about how do I get anyone to even buy it? What's the advice you would give them today? Is it still Etsy or platforms like that to find an audience? Is it something else? How would they get closer to where you are today? Well, the one thing I'd say is, you know, f finding the right product that truly has that emotional connection and, and can get that feeling across to somebody, whether it's just mm -hmm. a beautiful design or it's a, a kind of more of a sentimental design approach that we take with our maps. Um, but something that people really want, um, We'll, we'll bubble up to the top and where, where to start is really, I would say, what's the, what's the easiest and most comfortable for, for that person to do. And, um, if, if you need to spend six months figuring out how to create a Shopify store, then you're not going to get started, um, for a while. So pick, pick the one that is most accessible to you and it will hold you accountable. And, and as you grow, you'll probably expand into many other ways of selling. 
And then it seems the other thing I'm taking away from you is just promote, tell people what you've made, make it, sell it, but also tell people what you're making, tell them what you're selling, do it to as many people as you can, see their feedback um, and adjust. I, All right, I'm really excited to have you on here. I'm excited by your growth. I hope we'll get to do this again as the business continues to grow because I feel like you've nailed a product that just has... Um, like you said, it's one of those things that is timeless that you can imagine picking this up 50 years from now and it'll still feel good to have in your hands as as good as it feels today. Yeah, great. Thank you so much, Andrew. And um, I'm glad I'm glad you receive them as well as we we do. And, and we hope that that your listeners have a chance to uh, to experience them also. And we do have um, right. a special yeah. offer for them on our website at welltolddesign.com slash Mixergy. Really? Feel free to check that out and we'll have a discount. Code Way to go. All right. Well told design, well told design.com slash Mixergy. All right. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for being on here. And thank you to two sponsors. The first, if you're doing email marketing, go, oh, look at this. You got my photo and everything on there. I dig it. Uh, uh, where With a discount code. Cool. Um, and uh, thank you to my two sponsors. If you're looking to do email marketing, go check out sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. And again, hiring developers, lemon.io slash Mixergy. And finally, welltolddesign.com slash Mixergy. And if you get something, let me know about it. I'm andrew at Mixergy.com. Thanks. Bye, everyone.